The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. So I couldn't tell if it was a true panic attack because I was already breathing pretty heavy and my heart had been pounding at a decent clip for about three hours. But it happened at around mile 22 when I decided I'm done. I was on this street in Green Bay that I never remember seeing before. It was like I was in a foreign land. And it's probably a street I I still couldn't find today. And I'm sure there must have been fellow runners going around me. But at that moment, I was convinced I was completely alone. My legs were beginning to just cramp up like they were two huge boulders. And And then I saw lots of people, but they weren't alongside me. They were just passing me. And it was in that instance of believing that all was lost, that the race was over, and there was no way I was going to be able to finish. I heard a voice, like the sound from heaven, call out to me, it's just ahead. And I looked around, unable to lock eyes with uh, the location of the sound, and then I saw a woman whom I didn't know shoot me the most beautiful smile and repeat again to me, the finish. It's there. You're almost there. And I remember just instinctively just like smiling back at her and being filled with this overwhelming sense of purpose. Oh, the race, it's still going. It's still going. The clock's still ticking. My, 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 the finish line is still standing. There's Johnsonville Brat still waiting for me on the other side. It's not over. And my failing body hobbling along at a far less than perfect pace began to move again. And with one pound of the pavement after another, the finish line began calling my name. Not literally, of course. I I wasn't losing my mind at that point. And by God's grace, through a stranger's face, I finished the race. I finished my first marathon. Well, we may have two responses to this story. The first might be this. Well, Chad, I've I've already run a marathon. Actually, I've run multiple marathons. I've got lots of 26.2 stickers on the back of my car. I have an Iron Man tattoo on my ankle, not to mention multiple T-shirts I wear to the gym so that others can be encouraged by my success. (laughs) What you're describing, Chad, is a common phenomenon called the wall. Everyone experiences it. Uh, There's nothing new to that, Chad. I've learned how to train my brain to turn off during that and just keep going. It doesn't phase me. And, Chad, if you were an avid or maybe more mature runner, you might have been able to do better, finish stronger, run faster. Get with the program, Chad. I certainly have. I could run a marathon in my sleep if I had to. And some others of us might be wrestling with the story in a completely different way. We may be thinking something like, I run only when chased. My body is too messed up to even think about doing any kind of run I remember gym class running the track and other students messing with me about my weight or making fun of me about the way I ran. I would be the last person to crawl through that finish line, and I wouldn't want to embarrass myself like that. It's not worth it, Chad. The same tension that we see between these two poles is present when I use the word maturity. How do you understand the word maturity? Some of us may consider ourselves to be mature, to have been through our share of experiences and believe on some level that we have arrived. We we don't need a whole lot of changing, maybe just a little tweaking. And really what's left in this life is to share our experiences with others so they can learn from our example. 
Other of, others of us may consider ourselves so far gone that the word maturity seems like an impossibility when we see our consistent failures, our broken marriage or our broken families, our glaringly obvious singleness, our passivity, our weight, our wrinkles, our dead-end jobs. And we believe we just need to wait on the sideline until the rescue professionals come and just rapture us to heaven. In either camp, we've stopped like I did at mile 22, we've stopped and we've stunted the pursuit of maturity. And Paul, in this passage to the Philippian church, addresses both camps. If you would, open your Bible to Philippians 3. Uh, We're going to be reading in uh, verses 12 to 16. Before I read, we just need to understand a little of the context of what these two camps that I described look like in Paul's day and age. In the first camp, we have the elite runners. There were those who believed that through a series of specific spiritual exercise regiments, they had arrived. And they believed it their job to communicate to others two things, how far they've come and how far behind everyone else is. In the second camp are the average Joes and Janes who are being asked to sign up for this spiritual Ironman or this spiritual CrossFit. And they're confused. After all, Paul is talking about things like, in our weakness, Christ is strong. And do not boast except in what Christ has done. And they're left scratching their heads. They're being asked to sign up for this spiritual training camp, but they're wondering if what's being sold to them is truly how Christ would measure maturity, or maybe it's something more dangerous and destructive. So let's read together Philippians 3, uh, 12 to 16. In whatever camp we find ourselves this morning, And trusting and praying that God would provide for us a template for what pursuing maturity really looks like and really means. We're actually going to start in verse 8 just to help us set the context of the passage. So this is Philippians 3, starting in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, like Dan mentioned last week, that's dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already obtained this, Or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise... God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word and as we come in both camps, those of us who may be believing, you know what, there's not much more that, God, you have to do in our lives, that we've reached some kind of pinnacle of maturity or perfection. Father, bring humility. Bring an awareness of your holiness so that we can see our true need and our true sinfulness. And Father, for those of us in the camp who believe we are are so far gone from maturity, 
Lord, we ask that you would encourage us this morning, that you would, that you would like this woman on the sidelines, that you would lift us up and point us to the finish line because that finish line has already been crossed by Christ. Do that work this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm gonna, basically today I'm going to address both camps. Okay, and we're going to start with the first camp. Those of us who believe that we have arrived at the place of maturity or perfection. It's interesting that the Greek language uses the one word to mean basically the same thing. Maturity is perfection. Perfection is maturity. And we may be resistant and believe that, you know what, I don't fall in this camp. I, I'm not, I never think I'm, I'm perfect or I've arrived. But I wanted to give us some diagnostics to ask us to maybe think again. How many of us really are, are, are going through the motions or checklists of faith? I read my Bible regularly. Check. Pray for self, others, safe travels, protection. Check. I bring meals to new moms. Check. I serve at the local food pantry or Ninth Street Mission. Check. Hear me. None of those things are in and of themselves wrong. It's our pursuit of these things that I want to investigate. So, for example, I read my Bible regularly. So, for those who may have, may have been in the camp of arriving, what happens when you read your Bible and it says something you don't like or something you don't know you can believe, like the existence of hell or God asking the Israelites to wipe out an entire nation of people, including women and children, or something as simple as husbands love your wives by dying to yourselves? What do, we, what do we do then in our Bible reading? Those who are in the camp of believing themselves to be perfected will either ignore these passages altogether or they'll find a way to manipulate them in order to just feel more comfortable or safe with them. What happens when we're maybe praying for someone and the Holy Spirit prompts us to give a call to our estranged son or our excommunicated father? Again, those perfected would just ignore or manipulate the thought, you know what, I must just be getting hungry because that was a crazy thought. What about those of us who bring a meal to a mom and we hand the food to her and she starts crying uncontrollably, saying she's had thoughts about hurting herself or hurting her child, or we're at the food pantry and a man starts screaming that the FBI are after him. What do we who believe we have arrived at maturity do? Either we talk about the weather or we say we, we got to get going because our schedule, you know, it's crazy busy right now. I got to get going. But Paul's words in Philippians, they're written to those who believe they are perfected as a warning. And the first thing that we see in this warning is Paul. Look with me at verse 12 in the first part of verse 13. This is Paul speaking. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. This is Paul. Okay, let me give you some context of where Paul is. This is a man who is currently imprisoned for his faith. He's been tortured and beaten to a pulp multiple times because of his faith. He's been a pioneer who's planted multiple churches because of his faith. He's traveled thousands of miles on missionary journeys around the Mediterranean Sea to spread the faith, talking about the fact that he has not yet arrived. 
Paul's not saying this explicitly because he's modeling humility. But through his words, the scriptures are saying this. If Paul has not arrived yet, then friend, you are not there either. Take heed, those of us who believe that we have reached our pinnacle of maturity in the faith and reset your measures of maturity. We find a reset button at the latter half of verse 13. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Let's stop there for a second, because I think it also helps serve as a warning for those of us who measure maturity by what we've accomplished. Paul basically says, don't give any of your past kudos or your, any of your past ministry triumphs or any of those you've led to Christ or ministries you've chaired in the past as a source of self-satisfaction. The verb forgetting is basically like letting something dissolve from your mind without a whole lot of effort. And I tell you what, being 41, that is happening more and more in my mind. It's like the classic Rascal Flat song. I'm moving on. You guys remember that song? Great song. Anyway, it's moving on from the past. It's not something that takes up any space in our mind. If our past accomplishments are what we're using as a sign of maturity, then we're looking in the wrong place. And Paul says that. Move on. Your past accomplishments, they're already forgotten. I think again about running a marathon, which is a lot of the language Paul uses in this passage. If we were stuck like I was at mile 22, heart heart pounding, legs aching, exhausted, and I thought to myself, wow, look at how far I've come. There is nothing there that's going to serve to motivate me any further. I might as well just sit down and have my picture taken by mile marker 22. Paul says, friends, the past is in the past. Instead, he says in verse 14, we should be straining forward to what lies ahead. He uses the picture of a runner heading toward the finish line. Imagine a runner spending his or her time looking back at their previous steps or looking back at who's, who's coming up upon them. It would slow us down. It would slow them down. Instead, his or her body is stretched forward. Their heads launched forward toward what the original language calls the home stretch. I read a quote in, in studying this passage from the poet Robert Browning. And I thought it was convicting and comforting at the same time. And it said this. I'm going to read it a couple times because it took my demoted brain to wrap my mind around it. Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's heaven for? A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? As Charlie, our one-year-old, begins to learn how to walk, We take his nook, this is just cruel, we take his nook and extend it just beyond his comfort zone. So he has to make a few ways toward the nook. And Paul, in the same way as warning, we don't just hand him the nook and say, okay, walk. We move it about two feet from him so that he presses, he moves forward to the nook. And Paul, in the same way, is warning those who think they've mastered the Christian walks, walk by the look of their resume or looking back at their past accomplishments, Not to look back, not to look down, but to look forward. The last thing Paul does in communicating to those who may have believed they arrived at their peak of maturity is really comforting and convicting. And it's found at the end end of verse 15. He says, 
if in anything you think otherwise, meaning you, you think you don't have to press on because you've already been perfected, God will reveal that to you also. He uses the word apocalypto, our modern day word apocalypse, which literally means to reveal or to give a true light to something. Paul is confident that even if his letter doesn't penetrate the hearts of those who are flaunting their perfection, that it is ultimately the Lord's job to reveal the true state of a man's heart and not Paul's. I think for those of us who have people in our lives who believe we'll never get it, people who will never acknowledge their brokenness or their sin, will always be stuck in their pride and their self-deception, we can trust that God will indeed shine an exposing spotlight on those areas. It's not our job. It's God's kindness which leads to repentance. And we can pray for them and be patient and hopeful that God would reveal it to them before a final judgment so that there is this opportunity for repentance. So we have a warning to those of us who believe we have pursued perfection. Look to Paul, the super apostle, and see even he hasn't arrived. Forget your past accomplishments. They serve you no good. And if you still believe this warning doesn't apply to every single one of us in this room, every single one of us in this church, I can rest in the hope that God will make it clear to you at a later hour. But to those who find ourselves more often in the second camp, the camp that says we'll never arrive to the imperfect, this scripture gives us great encouragement. Look with me at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Just as those who think they have arrived look to their past accomplishments to give them a sense of success, the imperfected look at our past failures to keep us from getting a sense of success or getting any traction under our feet. Paul doesn't want his friends or us stopping there either. He's like the woman standing on the sideline who said, it's there, it's just ahead. And he talks about a goal, a prize, an upward call. What are these things he's talking about? Goal, the prize, the upward call. I really struggle with always using sports metaphors this morning because to those of you who have a more intellectual or engineering or artistic wiring, I'm sorry, but this is the language that Paul uses. The goal that he talks about is easy. It's the target, the thing that we are aiming for. In Green Bay, for a Packer fan, what is a Packer fan aiming for? A Super Bowl win. The prize is the reward for a Super Bowl win, the award that we receive for winning. And in this case, it's the Lombardi Trophy. It's the Super Bowl ring. It's the title of champion. And what is the upward call? Well, this is where it gets a little tricky for, got a little tricky for me to understand. But back in ancient times, in an Olympic competition, a victor or a winner would have the following things happen to him. First, he would hear his name announced. Chad Bodwin. Second, he would hear his father's name announced, son of Wayne Bodwin. Third, his country would be named, born in Green Bay, Wisconsin, USA. And then finally, 
the Caesar or the ruler of the day would look down upon the athlete and the athlete would look up at him and he would give him a palm branch marking his victory. But how are we to understand this passage in terms of discipleship? It's much simpler. Look at the last three words of verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was Jesus's goal? The Father's glory. What was his prize? We were. What was his upward calling? To perfectly do the will of the Father. If we were to use the Olympic Stadium to describe then what it looks like for us, it's identical to him. In our victory walk into the arena of God, into the arena of heaven, God the Father, who is the greatest Caesar who will ever live, we will hear a name announced. But it's not going to be our own name. It will be to us as we walk in. It will be, this is Jesus Christ's victor. We will not hear our earthly father's name announced. We will hear son or daughter of the father almighty. And we will not hear our physical birthplace be announced, but we'll hear our eternal birthplace announced belonging to the kingdom of God. And we would be crowned not with our own victory branch, but be clothed with the robe of righteousness of Christ. So for those of us who struggle with past failures, remember, they have no bearing on our future status. None. Look to the end, not to the past, to motivate you toward holiness and righteousness. Keep your eyes fixed on the finish line that has already been crossed by Jesus through the cross, rising from the dead and seating himself in heaven. So one of the questions I want to ask us is, what, what goals or prizes have we found ourselves striving for lately? And if we're honest, most of us don't believe there's going to be this grand, glorious entrance into the great arena of victory. So we settle for much, much smaller venues. We create comfortable little worlds for us to live. We create predictable little schedules for us to follow. And we create measurable and realistic goals for us to attain. And we end up leaving little room for the Spirit of God to foster in us a sense of the unknown, of anticipation and excitement of what is it going to look like when I take risks for my faith? Ah, but a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? How does this idea of having this heaven-bound goal affect our little worlds? Well, it, it, should, it should broaden them. By maybe having us pray that the kingdom of God would invade countries that we've never been to and we will never visit. What about in our little schedules? Well, as we open it up, it would leave room for the unpredictable conversation with that struggling mom or that former addict. What about our little goals? Well, they should be what many call BHAGs, which is big, hairy, and audacious goals. And I would change it to Big, heavenly arena goals. BHAGs, big, heavenly arena goals, which allows room for God's spirit to work within us and work in spite of us. Maybe it's setting the goal by praying that God would give you an opportunity this week to boldly share your faith. 
Maybe it's setting the goal to have a conversation with that person who seems to hate your guts. I don't want to say this one out loud. Maybe it's selling your motorcycle, Chad, and giving the money to someone who desperately needs groceries. Press on toward the big heavenly arena goal, imperfect one. Press on. Some of you may be saying, you know, I get what you're saying. And as soon as I try and think bigger picture, I'm just, again, reminded about how faithless I've been. You don't know some of the things I've done lately. It's hard enough sometimes to even step foot in this church on Sunday morning because I should be so much further in my life of purity. I should be so much further in my marriage. I should be so much further in my spiritual life than I am right now. For many women, it might be a continuous struggle with an eating or an image to body image disorder, which constantly plagues you and plagues your thinking and keeps saying, you'll never be skinny enough. For many men, it might be a lifelong struggle with alcohol or sex addiction. And it says, you'll never be sober enough. And for those of you who have yet to receive the invitation of grace from Jesus, he says to all of us, come sinner exactly as you are brothers and sisters these verses in philippians are encouraging you and me to remember that the pursuit of maturity the pursuit of perfection assumes imperfection one quote i read this week said it is the mark of a perfect man not to reckon himself perfect I'll read that again. It is a mark of a perfect man not to reckon himself perfect. Maturity, according to the gospel, says we are perfect and imperfect simultaneously. Imperfect in that all of us lack righteousness. Perfect because we confess these imperfections and move toward our Savior who has already attained our perfection. The end of verse 12 says this very thing. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This past work of Christ informs the future work of perfection. I know this sounds a little strange, but imperfect one, be encouraged by your weaknesses. Paul actually says in another book, boast in them. Because a perfect man is one who displays his imperfections so that Christ's perfections might be all the more glorious. I think of my sons who are learning how to write. This is a note my son gave me the other day. And it's, I'll just read it to you first. I love you, Mr. C.D. And it's to me. So it's, I love you, Mr. C. Chad, and then the D is dad. So I love you, Mr. C.D. Chad, dad. <laughs> so if I were expecting perfection of them in their penmanship, I would constantly frustrate them with my critiques. I'd be like, no, 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 no. That's not how you spell love. No, mister, that's totally off. When are you going to get this right, kid? When are you going to get this right? And maybe some of you, unfortunately, had parents like that. But our Heavenly Father has an incredible amount of patience and love for us. And he encourages his children, his children, to keep at it, to keep working on it, keep practicing Keep moving forward, and not in your own strength. Through the power of the Spirit, keep moving forward. 
And I have a future hope that my child will someday be able to write legibly with the letters facing the right direction and spelled correctly. I know that with continued practice, he will learn how to spell right. So I wait. And so too does our Heavenly Father wait with great anticipation to see us finally perfected. For those of you uh, perfectionists or English teachers, maybe you're the same person. Um, I know, I know, I have driven you crazy with, uh, throughout this message, with the title of this message. You keep staring up at the screen at the title of the message, and maybe you didn't hear a word I said because you were so fixated on it that you wanted to go back to Aaron in the video room and make him change it so that you could just kind of rest at ease. The tension that you experienced with the misspelling pursuing perfection is the tension All of us feel in this life as we pursue maturity or perfection. We're partly there. It's almost right. The misspellings, the sin of our lives desperately need changing, but we will never, this side of eternity, be spelled correctly or be sinless. That's why we, those of us who think we've arrived and those of us who see daily how far we haven't come, We desperately need Jesus, who verse 12 says, apprehended or won us in facing his glory of giving glory to the Father. He ransomed us and he won us. We are his prize. And verse 16 encourages us to imitate after him by holding true to what we have attained, which is the reward of eternal life in Christ. Friends, continue to press forward toward holiness and righteousness, which is finally ours and already ours at the finish line. And we look forward to the big, heavenly arena goal where we will look up toward our loving and gracious Father. And He will declare us not only not guilty, but He will say to us, Well done, good and faithful runner. Welcome home, my perfected son. Welcome home, my perfected daughter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, which doesn't leave us finished. It actually undoes us and shows us our need for you. I pray, Father, that there, if there are those in the room who believe that they have arrived that you would graciously and carefully undo them, undo us. And for those of us who believe that we'll never arrive because of our past failures, that you would lead us to the cross and to the resurrection and to you being seated at the right hand of the Father. Father, we pray that as we go to your table, that we would receive our perfect reward, our perfect prize, our perfect goal, our perfect call, that we would receive Jesus Christ, the perfect man. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.